No respect for the Aggies at the Mountain West Media Summit last week. We'll discuss that and ask some questions that still need to be answered as we head into fall camp this week on AggieCast. This is Micah Safeston, your host on AggieCast. Give us a like, give us a share on Facebook. Let us know what you think. Send us a message there. Uh, I want to talk about this week. Talk about the Mountain West Media Summit. It's not not Media Days. That's what we that that's what all the other conferences call it, and what everyone else has called it for however many years. Now it's the Media Summit. Big difference, guys. I want to talk about what happened there because. <laughs> Frankly, it might have been the most disappointing <laughs> media summit or media days, whatever you want to call it. The most, the most disappointing thing I've seen for a single team at any event like this um, that I can think of. I mean, they, they really piled it on thick for the Aggies in Las Vegas. I do think that Coach Wells and the two players he brought, he brought Kent Myers and Dan Levitt to represent him. I think they... they did a good job. I mean, they did what you're supposed to do there. Uh, there was no love lost, though. Uh, not disrespectful, but just no confidence in our Utah State Aggies from the media. And I suppose to some, I might be a part of the media. I don't really think of myself that way. I wasn't there. I would have liked to have been. Uh, I'll plan on see if I can get there next year. But I was still surprised to see them ranked dead last, not just in the Mountain Division, but in the Mountain West, Mountain West Conference. Uh, basically, all the media members, they, they rank each team, and all those rankings are compiled, so each team has a certain number of points. Utah State, Utah State ended with the lowest amount of points, the least amount of confidence. Uh, they had something like 28 votes, 28 points, which wasn't very good. And I, I was shocked by that. You know, I think there are plenty of other teams that have reason to be concerned about this season. Um, certainly there are concerns I have with Utah State. I, I don't, uh, I'm not going into this season blindly and, and overly confident. I, there are a lot of concerns I have. But I think there are other teams in the conference who should be a lot more concerned than uh, the Utah State should I look at. Look at uh, Nevada, UNLV, both of those Nevada teams. Um, look at Fresno State, teams that have serious rebuilding to do. And Utah State has some of that as well, but not to the extent they do. 
another disappointing uh, thing that came out of the conference, that the, the conference media summit, was no Utah State players being on um, first-team all-conference watch list. I don't even think they made second any second-team lists. Um, there were... I know uh, the Wyoming quarterback, Josh Allen, he was voted Offensive Player of the Year. And the defensive player is not coming to my mind at the moment. But uh, nothing from Utah State. And I... I was, like I said, shocked, and, and I looked into it, and I, I was reading an article, I posted it actually on the AgCast Facebook page that, uh, that mentioned this, and I looked in, further into it. And Wyoming, last year, Wyoming was also picked dead last to win the, well, to pick to go dead last in the conference uh, at the same media summit, media days event. And they had um, just, they didn't do very well on the, the all-conference uh, watch lists either. Just no love, no respect from the, the media on, the, on Wyoming's side last year. And then look where they ended up. <laughs> they won the division. They went to the conference championship. They lost the conference championship, but had an a impressive year. A real comeback here. Their their quarterback Josh Allen, who is now picked to to get uh, all the offensive player of the year for the Mountain West Conference, he ended up having a breakthrough year and uh, really surprising everybody. So why why can't Utah State be that? Why can't they do that again? And I'm really going to take almost the entire episode uh, today answering that question. Why can't Utah State do what Wyoming did last year. And that was really surprise a lot of people. And I, I've, I want to answer that question not so much by focusing on Wyoming last year because you know, Utah State's a different team, different coach, different style, um, different players certainly. But I really want to look at why I think Utah State is capable of surprising a lot of people. I don't necessarily know if they will. And I suppose the whole point of my episode today is I, I want to spend less time on this media day, this media summit, um, just because there, there was very little for a Utah State Aggie fan to get out of this other than, well, your team's going to have a horrible season. Um, so it, it was just, there wasn't a lot to, to glean from it, um, quite frankly, as I, as I watched some of the interviews um, I watched. I did watch a uh, clip of, of Coach Wells talking about his quarterback, Kent Myers, commenting on how much he's improved, um, particularly you know since he started playing, uh, just as a freshman, sophomore, and up till now as a senior, and how, how his uh, comfort and knowledge of being a leader on the field, of being the offensive leader, um, he's really kind of um, grown into that position, not just quarterback, but also leader. And he did a great job representing the Aggies at Media Days. Both players, Dallin Levitt and Kent Myers, um, both represented the Aggies well. Those are two players I think um, have potential to, to be very successful. They 
Uh, particularly Darren Levitt had a successful year last year, transferred from BYU um, and coming to the Aggies and, and to me stood out on the defense. Kent Myers, frankly, had a disappointing season last year, and I'm going to get more into that uh, later in this episode. But um, what he's shown in the past, only during small moments last year, but the previous year, what he showed in entire games, even, uh, he's capable of repeating that and, and being very successful. So I want to talk about that, um, talk about fall camp starting uh, tomorrow and um, discuss what we're gonna, what we can look for out of that. Uh, talk about some of the opportunities that we as fans will have to, to see the Aggies. I, I know I'll be going to watch some of their scrimmages, and uh, we'll do that on the other side of the break. Okay, back here on AggieCast, I want to talk about the Utah State Aggies fall camp, which starts uh, tomorrow, if you're listening uh, Thursday, August 2nd, uh, excuse me, August 3rd. Tomorrow on Friday, fall camp starts, and I, I one of the things I love about the Aggies is how much open practice they do, and, and maybe that's a Coach Wells thing. But I, I really like it. I think getting the opportunity, because there's a difference between, obviously, between a practice and a game. And when you're in practice, when you're just watching a practice as a fan, you, you don't tend to see a lot of the mistakes that you might see in a game. Because in a game, you're playing an opponent, the opponent is trying to capitalize on a mistake. Mistakes are obvious because when you make one, the opponent scores, gets the ball. Uh, anything else bad could happen. In a practice, that is easier to cover up. So I think it's a... I love the the open practice system. I think there's there's a lot of coaches who don't like it because it tends to... Uh, broad. Maybe there's a chance of broadcasting your strategy, broadcasting what you're going to do in these situations and that situation. And I don't know. I, I feel like in today's world, not even just in football, not even just in sports, but uh, transparency is, is just better than, uh, than trying to cover it up. And it's better just to, to tell people who you are. And I like that the Aggies do that with their, their open practices. Look at, go to Utah State Aggies. Uh, dot com and and check out their their fall practice schedule. I know the first scrimmage is on Saturday the eleventh. I will be there. I believe it's at six o'clock, and I believe that their final scrimmage, which is the the family fun day, is I believe a week after that uh, on the eighteenth. So I've basically written down five questions as we get into fall camp, that I'm going to be looking for. When I, I'll go to these scrimmages, I may even go to a couple practices uh, just in the afternoons. These are the things I want to see from the Yankees. These, just in my humble opinion, 
that uh, that Utah State to have success this year that they need to improve on, uh, and or even maybe it's not even improve on, but just do <laughs> maintain. <laughs> um, the first question I have about the Aggies is about Kent Myers. Number one, will Kent Myers impress or disappoint? Because I've made it clear on earlier episodes that I'm a fan of Kent Myers. I think he is a a good football player. And I'll tell you why. Because I've been asked that question since saying that. Why why do you like Kent Myers? He, He really performed poorly last year. And that's true. But I'll tell you why I still have faith in him. And that is because his mistakes are usually not of the mental variety. His mistakes tend to be um, tend to be poor accuracy, I think is something that he struggles with. Uh, I think that um, there are times that he's under pressure and that affects his throwing. I don't think it necessarily affects his decision making. I've seen it uh, often where he'll be under pressure because the offensive line wasn't there uh, like they were many times last year. They just weren't there. Where I see Kent Myers throwing to the right player, even at the right time within the play, it's just rushed. And it's, it's not, his, not the mental aspect of his game. It's more of the technique that he seems to struggle with. And that is the place upon which he, he can improve a lot more. It's a lot easier to see a college, a 20-something college football player. He's not much younger than I am. Um, not much older. He's about my age, which is intimidating. Um, young guys like us, we we can improve our technique if given the time, but that mental aspect of the game, that's hard. That That is one of the more difficult parts of the game, especially at quarterback. So I, I want to look at these numbers from... 2015 to 2016, because Kent Myers clearly regressed. Now, if you look at his completion percentage, which is one of the, which is one of my personal favorite um, stats when measuring a passer, uh, certainly a quarterback, his completion percentage was roughly the same. He he was about 60% in 2015, and he went down to like 58% in 2016. So essentially. A, Roughly the same. I would like to have seen that improved on. It didn't. What was more dramatic was some of the other areas. For example, 2015, he accounted for 16 touchdowns. 2016, that number went down to just 10. 2015, two seasons ago, he only threw three interceptions. That's impressive. Um, I know that that there were... uh, He wasn't playing the entire year... Uh, I, I, I believe he started every game, or at least almost every game, where back in 2015. But to have only three interceptions, that's a tremendous statistic. I would love to see that again. 2016, he threw eight. Which, even that, I mean, I would love to see fewer than eight. But um, that is still a, a regression. Even though eight might not sound that bad for a three and nine team. Go back again, 2015, he had 14 sacks. Now, 
you, you count sacks, a lot of times that's a reflection more of the offensive line than the quarterback. Kent Myers, though, he's a, he's a mobile quarterback. And you can't uh, basically relegate that sacks category, that sacks statistic, all to the offensive line when you have a mobile quarterback like Kent Myers. Um, 14 sacks in 2015. 2016, that nearly doubled to 27 sacks. 2015, he had a 151 QB rating. 2016, it went down to 118. He clearly regressed over the 2015 to the 2016 season. And my question will be, throughout fall camp, is is Kent Myers progressing or is he continuing to regress? Uh, if that's the case, you, I mean, you have to sit him because... He was mediocre at best last year. Uh, again, I say that as someone who believes he has a lot of potential. He was mediocre at best last year. And, you know, we've got this, uh, I believe, a redshirt freshman in Jordan Love. He played well in the spring game. DJ Nelson um, continues to be a, a solid backup. Um, but I'll, I'll be watching those guys as well. If it uh, is not looking like Kent Myers is going to improve, upon the seasons he's had. My next question, question number two, is going to be about the defense. Specifically, is the defense going to be able to replace what it lost from last year? It's interesting, with the Aggies, both sides of the ball, they lost about half of the team on both sides of the ball. They didn't really even lose a lot in one one uh, category of players. They didn't lose all their defensive backfield and kept their defensive line. They, they lost <laughs> pretty much half the defensive backfield and are, still have the other half. And then same thing with the defensive lines. It's similar with the offensive line. I think we have two starters, which is not great on the offensive line. Um, but what I want to see from the defense is, it, it's interesting. When you look at the statistics, about half of their tackles, half of the players who accounted for their tackles, came back last year. So, you know, you say, you, you hear in sports talk um, like this, 50% of their tackles came back, uh, are coming back this season. And that's true for Utah State. It's true in almost every defensive category, actually. About half of ev all their defensive production is coming back. The other half is gone. And so half of this defense is going to be young, and uh, we're not going to get a, well, fall camp at least. We are going to get a good look at them. Again, why I love the transparency of fall camp uh, Utah State is I'll be watching the Aggies on defense and seeing are those holes in the defense stepping up? Uh, I think the position group I might be the most concerned about is the linebackers. Um, we have Alex Huerta and Chase Christiansen coming back um, with two new guys that are going to be filling in those roles. And that will be um, because the last few years, Utah State has, when they've played defensive well, it's been because their linebackers have been dominant. And I think one of the main reasons we struggled last year was poor play at the linebacker position. Um, 
we Chase Christiansen had some moments, but he actually isn't even listed as a starter. Uh, at least not. He wasn't last year. Uh, he will be this year, I'm sure, but he wasn't last year. And Alex Huerta, he also had some moments, and that was about it. <laughs> uh, we, we had we had a few guys that have left that played all right, but Utah State in the last decade, what has that linebacker is the position that really has brought Utah State to the level it's playing at. You look at uh, starting with Bobby Wagner, the Vigil brothers, Kyler Fackrell, uh, just to name a few. Those linebackers helped make Utah State uh, a force in the Mountain West. And I want to see that again. So I'm going to be watching the linebacker position and all the defense to see can it replace what it lost last year and even improve. Because last year, there was a lot of areas of improvement. And so I don't want to just see us meet the bar we set last year because that was a low bar. I want to see the bar, see them meet the bar or exceed the bar we were setting in 2013, 2014. And that, because that's going to determine the success for this team. Question number three, what will this offense look like compared to previous years? The main reason I'm going to be asking this question will be because of our new offensive coordinator, David Yost. David Yost, in the spring game, uh, was running a no-huddle, very fast type offense. And, and that, that's great. I, mean, I, I love that. And um, we've got the players, the personnel, to be successful at that. But come fall camp, we're going to get a better idea of if that's really what it's going to look like week in and week out every drive, every play, because if that's the case, um, that's a big deal. Because Utah State, we've played some fast offense, we've played some hurry-up type offense, but we I've never seen us really play a true no-huddle. No and what's exciting about David Yost is that's kind of how he coached. I was at Oregon last year, and Oregon, of course, is notorious for the style of play. They This is what made Oregon, Oregon. The problem is that wasn't really David Yost that made that. David Yost kind of tagged along near the end, uh, which is fine. And uh, David Yost spent, has spent most of his time at Missouri, which is another school that's been successful, not in the past almost decade, but um, you know, they've, there have been years where Missouri has run that type of offense very well uh, as well. So, I want to see, will David Yost be implementing that type of offense? And if he does, will it work well? I think Kent Myers can operate well. He's a smart quarterback. He's become smart. Uh, high football IQ. I would love to see Kent Myers run this type of offense. If, if that's not really what our offense looks like, I suppose that's fine. I, I just hope it works. <laughs> but I really want to know the answer to that question. Because if Utah State is running a hurry-up, no-huddle offense, a true no-huddle offense, then my confidence is really going to go up on the offense uh, because David Yost, I believe, has been around enough programs who know how to run this offense and know when not to do it. And I am going to trust that he's going to make the right decision. <laughs>
regarding that type of offensive strategy, that scheme. So, number four, and this is this is one I, I think I'm going to have some fun with. Um, what position players on offense will best support Kent Myers? Sorry, getting a drink. Um, I asked this question because we another one of our big problems last year was there really wasn't one player on offense who was really making an impact. And if, if you could pick one, the problem is he's gone. And that's Rashad Lewis. Um, he was really probably the most productive offensive player last year. And he's gone. And so if Kent Myers is going to be successful, he needs to have someone else that's going to be able to carry the ball as well or better than he can. And frankly, I don't really care if it's a running back, a wide receiver, a tight end. He needs someone. I, another player who was really um, very productive in offense was Wyatt Houston, a tight end. He's gone. <laughs> and so we, we need someone other than Kent Myers on offense that's also going to step up, also going to fill a role. That, that's a, a big hole right now. I think some of the names that come to mind, first of all, Tony Lindsay, Tony Lindsay Jr. at running back. Uh, he's averaged 5.2 yards per carry in his career. He seems to be kind of the favorite to do that, to take that role. Um, a lot of people are also saying Lawan Hunt. Uh, a little bit more experience. He's averaged 3.9 yards per carry. I think he could be either one of those guys. I would prefer to see one or the other. Um, I suppose they could both do it, but I will be more convinced that we're going to have someone filling this role if I'm seeing Tony Lindsay or Lawan Hunt every first down in scrimmage. <laughs> he's he's going in. Every first down, he's run into the huddle. Uh, second down, maybe he's doing that as well. That's what I want to see. It could be a wide receiver. Uh, Ron Quavian Tarver has been a name that's been thrown out. In fact, I think it's more likely to be a wide receiver because last year we were, frankly, just flat out more successful throwing the ball than we run than we were running the ball. So a lot of people say that uh, Ron Quavian Tarver is going to fill that role. He's averaged thirteen point one yards per reception, which is that's very good. I think he uh, he holds the the record at Utah State for most receptions by an underclassman, 46, something like that. Last year, he had two 100-yard games. Um, I, he has the potential to to really fill that role. Uh, he's a big, tall receiver. He also has to win the contest of best Michael Jordan lookalike because if you ever see his picture, it will look like uh, the spitting image of the goat, Michael Jordan. Anyway... Another wide receiver that could fill that role, Jaron Colston Green. Um, he doesn't have the experience that Ronquavian Tarver has, but he's another big guy that people are whose name is being thrown around. Uh, tight end, we've got Dax Raymond, who was out with an injury last year. Um, we also have the former backup quarterback, Damian Hobbs, filling in at tight end. Played very well in the spring game. I'll be watching him. I'm, I'm very interested in seeing how successful he can be. There's also, you know, 
another kind of uh, dark horse that I like. Um, ju- uh, junior college transfer, El Toro Allen. He comes from uh, junior college in California. I'm not, the name's not ringing a bell, but um, El Toro, which is a great name to be, to have when you're playing for the Aggies uh, with the big bull. El Toro Allen, I watched his highlight reel the other day, and it is sweet. And it's his junior college highlight reel, not his high school college reel. So he, he was dominating in at JUCO. And uh, so I think he is the and JUCO players, they have that, that advantage of moving in, and they're not making the big jump that high school players are. They're, it's really just a few levels up <laughs> close to high school where it's just – uh, over your head on day one, unless you're uh, a five, four, five-star recruit. So that's really what I'm going to be watching. Who, who's going to take that role? Who's going to um, be the right-hand man to Kent Myers? Because, I, like I said, I would prefer it to be one guy who's obviously going to take that role. I would love for all of those guys I mentioned to take that role. But being realistic... I would love to see, you know, um, Kent Myers to Big Ron Quavian Tarver. That's the guy that's always in double coverage. That's the guy opening up the other guys, the other receivers, the tight ends, because Ron Quavian Tarver's unstoppable. I'd love to see Tony Lindsay. He's, you know, no one can tackle him. He's taken every gap that he's getting and uh, just running six yards per carry, seven yards per carry. And I just love to see that from, from I just, just one of them. <laughs> So I'll be looking for that in fall camp. My last question, coming into fall camp, can the defense stop the run? And really my question will be, can the defense stop everything? But specifically, can they stop the run? I mentioned earlier, um, last week or the week before, that the Aggies are, last year, were ranked 11th in stopping the pass in the entire nation. They're ranked number 11. In the entire country. So that's over the, those big defensive teams like Alabama, Michigan, Ohio State, those teams that play almost an NFL-level defense. Utah State was right behind them in number 11. That was awesome. And I would love to see that repeated um, for the Aggies. Stopping the run, however, was a slightly different story. Aggies were ranked 91st in the nation stopping the run. There's a caveat to that that's very interesting. 91st in the nation, but they were 6th, right in the middle of the Mountain West in rushing defense. That's fascinating because, they, I mean, that means that there were, there were another 6 teams in the Mountain West who were worse than the Aggies were at stopping the run last year when the Aggies got 3-9, and nine, ranked 3-9. and nine. I would note that one of those teams ranked behind the Aggies was Wyoming, who won the division. And so it's clear that if you can stop the run in the Mountain West, you've got a shot. And there's a reason for that. Now, because was Wyoming really supposed to be ranked that low? Were they really the... In fact, (laughs) Aggies were 91st. Wyoming was 92nd. Was Wyoming... Were they really the 92nd worst team at stopping the run? By the, the, by the book, by the statistics, yes, they were. In reality, they probably were much higher than that. 
they were just ranked so low because in the Mountain West, there's so many teams that run the ball so well. You've got San Diego State, uh, New Mexico, first in the nation in rushing last year. Air Force, you know, any service academy is going to run the ball very well. Those are just, those are just three of the teams. Uh, Wyoming themselves have had some good, had some good running backs in the past. All these are uh, all te- teams in the Mountain West to some degree run the ball very well. And so if you can stop the run, you've got a good shot. And I'm going to be watching the Aggies, they're watching their run defense. Um, again, and that kind of comes back to the linebackers because the linebackers play such a big role in identifying and stopping the run um, sooner than anyone else on the field. That's, that's kind of a fundamental concept of playing linebacker. And so I'm going to be watching because if the Aggies are not running the ball well in scrimmages, it'll be for one of two reasons. Either the offense isn't rushing very well or the defense is stopping the rush very well. I'm willing to give the benefit of the doubt to the defense and say the only reason we can't run the ball on, in these scrimmages is because our defense is so good at stopping it. Especially when we've got these guys, Tony Lindsay Jr., Luan Hunt, Apollo Allen, that'll be running the ball against them in these scrimmages that I think will be difficult to stop and will mirror uh, the quality of, of a lot of the running backs we will play against. Um, unfortunately, Wisconsin's going to be a a difficult game to gauge that skill against because <laughs> the teams that are stopping the Wisconsin run game are the best defenses in the country. So I'd love to see Utah State do that. But if they don't, uh, I'll be optimistic nonetheless. So those are my five questions coming into fall camp. Like I said, I will be at these scrimmages. Um, I would encourage you to come to them as well. Check them out. Uh, check out and see how our Aggies are doing as we prepare for this season. And, man, I'm just getting excited. <laughs> you, you, can, you can think of your own questions that you want to look for, things you want to look for. Let me know. Uh, contact us at AggieCast on the AggieCast Facebook page and uh, just write us right there. And I want to close today's show um, talking about something that is not just applicable to the Utah State Aggies, but just college football as a whole, my thoughts on it. And we're going to end this episode with that. So before we end this episode, I want to take a few minutes and talk about um, the news that I've just found out about, even as I was preparing for this episode, and that is the death of Era Parsegian, uh, the the era of era, as they call it at Notre Dame, is over. If you're not familiar with Era, era Parsegian, he was one of Notre Dame's coaches, um, particularly back in the '70s. They consider they call him at Notre Dame one of the Holy Trinity. Uh, he, Newt Rockney, and Frank Leahy, uh, probably the, the three great coaches of Notre Dame. Um, if it were me, I, I'd put Lou Holtz in there as well. But um, I, I don't know if everyone 
who is my age and younger and maybe even a little older really appreciates how great of a coach Era Parsegian really was. Uh, particularly at Notre Dame. He coached 11 seasons there, won two national championships. And during those 11 seasons, he only had 17 losses, which is pretty impressive. And I, I don't know if there's going to be a coach that's going to have that type of a record who's not named Nick Saban. <laughs> so I, but I think there's still more to Air Parsegian's greatness beyond just his record. And that is his coaching tree. If you're not familiar with coaching tree, that basically, it's similar to a family tree, a genealogical family tree. It's every player or every coach that, every coach has a coaching tree. And, it, and on it is every coach that he has coached with, that he has mentored, either as a, as a uh, assistant coach to him or as a player. So, Eric Parsegian's coaching tree is quite impressive. And there are different levels of this tree. And, and generally, when you talk about a coaching tree, uh, you start out by mentioning some of the direct relationships that he had. Uh, Eric Parsegian coached with Bo Schembechler, the great coach at Michigan, Woody Hayes, the great coach at Ohio State. Those two coaches were known for their rivalry against each other. Another coach that Aero Parsegian coached with was Jim Tressel, another Ohio State coach. Um, one of the great coaches there. He won, I think, I think one national championship while at Ohio State. Another one, Sean Payton, Super Bowl winning uh, coach of the New Orleans Saints. Um, even John Pont, uh, his successor at uh, the University of Miami, where Aero Parsegian started out his head coaching career. Uh, John Pont's one of the great coaches to coach at Miami. Some of the indirect uh, coaches on his coaching tree. So these are these are coaches that he, that Parsegian didn't coach with, but who mentored coaches who did coach with these guys. <laughs> so kind of like his grandchildren. So some of these names you might be more familiar with. They're a little bit more uh, current. Uh, Kyle Whittingham, the current coach of, of Utah. Nick Saban. Coach of Alabama, one of the greatest coaches, um, the greatest coach of my generation. Uh, Ken Niamatololo, the current coach of Navy. Jim Harbaugh, coach at Michigan. Don Brown, the defensive coordinator at Michigan. Um, John Harbaugh, the current coach of the Baltimore Ravens. Dave Clawson, I, <laughs> his name stuck out to me because he's the current coach of Wake Forest, one of Utah State's opponents. Jimbo Fisher, the national championship winning coach at Florida State, Mark D'Antonio, the, the current coach at Michigan State. Um, another one, I mentioned earlier, John Pont, an old coach of, of my University of Miami in Oxford, Ohio. John Pont once coached, of a player, uh, co coached with a young coach named Ron McBride, who later became the head coach at University of Utah. Coached at, he coached at uh, Utah during the 90s, really made U of U uh, even a consideration for a conference champion. U of U was a perennial loser before Ron McBride, and uh, Ron McBride made it a legitimate team, really. Uh, Ron McBride 
coached with a uh, while he was at at the U, hired a young defensive line coach that we would all recognize named Gary Anderson. Uh, Gary Anderson, of course, our former coach at Utah State, meaning that a distant association of Arapar Sejan on his coaching tree is, yes, our very own Matt Wells, as Matt Wells was later hired by Gary Anderson after Gary Anderson became the head coach at Utah State. So there you go. Coach Matt Wells and Arapar Sejan, even they have a connection. Even a little Utah State Aggies have a connection to the great Arapar Sejan, uh, died today. As I'm recording this, this will be posted tomorrow. Um, so today is Wednesday as I record this. Died today at the age of 94. Uh, one of the great coaches of all time. So that's going to do it for me today on AggieCast. Again, give us a like on Facebook if you haven't. Share us with your friends. Uh, let's continue to share this podcast and and get ready for this exciting 2017 football season. Thank you very much. Go Aggies. Thank you.